Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Good morning, everybody. I want to welcome you this morning. Um, before we go any further, I'm going to ask Pastor Josh to join me here on the platform. Um, it was about a year ago, our church had been going through a pretty major transition on our staffing. And um, we had been in a search for some critical roles here at our church, one of those being stepping into our lead worshiper role. Um, We had gone through a process of a journey of about eight months of transitioning, praying, trusting the Lord for direction. And um, then Pastor Josh and I had a conversation about the possibility of him stepping in to a role that he had never done before. Uh, He had never been a part of. He had some experience with bands. He had some experience with keyboard, but had never really done anything to the magnitude of leadership with a worship team. Um, And this fall is a year since Pastor Josh has stepped into that role. And I just want to take a moment, first of all, to just publicly say thank you for the way that you have put your arms around a very challenging situation. It's not easy to follow somebody who's been in a leadership role for 10 years, and that's what Jamie had served in. And then it's also not easy to step into a band of highly skilled musicians, each who are just quality in their own right, um, each with strong opinions about where God wants to take us, where God should take us, etc. And you have stepped in and you have led with incredible integrity of heart, with mind, with spirit. It's been fun to watch you grow as a person, as an individual created by God. It's been fun to watch you grow as a man. It's been fun to watch you grow as a husband, as a father, and in your leadership. And I just wanted to take an opportunity for everybody here at Grace Crossing Church to join me in saying thank you for the way that you've leaned into growing this past year. Love you and appreciate you. Now, this morning, we come to week number three uh, of our series, What Lies Beneath. In this series, we are focusing on moving us as a church beyond skin-deep spirituality to more Christian integrity, where there's integration between what's going on on the outside of our lives and what's happening in the interior. I've shared that our life looks a lot like an iceberg, where 10% of it can be seen Um, above the surface. But the better part of our life is the 90% that lies just below the surface, the part that others can't see, the part that many people do not fully know. When Jesus came to earth, he confronted a group of people called the Pharisees, and the Pharisees were all about the top 10% of their life and leadership. They had neglected and ignored the other 90%. And so Jesus gives them a scathing review when he says, your lips are close to me, but your hearts are far from me. What we're focusing on in this series is how we can move beyond having mouths that talk Christianity, mouths that claim faith, and how we can actually begin to integrate that faith in the deeper part of our human heart and our soul where God lives 
and where we can experience the greatest level of freedom and joy that we have ever known. Now, so far in this series, we have focused on a couple of things. The first week, we talked about emotionally unhealthy spirituality and some of the symptoms that lie just below the surface of our faith. Last weekend, we talked about the first of several powerful prescriptions to move us toward emotionally healthy spirituality. And here's the big premise of this entire series. It is impossible to become spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. We cannot separate our emotional world from our spiritual life and our faith. It's impossible. And so if we're going to grow up into him who is the head, Christ, if we're going to become spiritually mature, then we've got to be willing to also grow up emotionally and become more emotionally mature, which is no small feat. I know. I've been living in it for the last number of years of my life, and I can tell you it is a formidable task that will take you a lot of God's help and a lot of God's grace. Now, before we dive in this week, I want to take just a moment, and I'd like Ray Finch to join me here on the platform, and we're going to just do a, just a very short interview. Would you give Ray a hand as he comes this morning? Thank you, Ray. Great to have you this morning. You're wearing the right shirt, too, by the way. Good job. Well, my New England Patriots was tied up, so. Okay. <laughs> in the wash. So, Ray, for those of you who don't know, uh, Ray has been a part of this church for a number of years, he and his family. Uh, and Ray serves as one of our trustees here at Grace Crossing Church. So he's one of the individuals who serves on our uh, church board, our trustee board, responsible for our uh, business finance, fiduciary responsibilities, and all the good things that go along with making sure that we stay an organization that is truly sound in every way. Um, but more importantly, Ray's my friend. He's also my neighbor. And so he and I have gotten to know each other through the years. And Ray, I wanted to just have you share a little bit about this journey that you've been in here with Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. So you've been walking through this journey with our trustee board. You've also uh, now going through it with your connection group. Um, share with us what it is you're learning most about yourself as you go through this journey. Wow. <laughs> I guess the most important thing is that this Christian walk is truly a journey. It's, yeah. it's not a magic transformation when you accept Jesus. It's just the beginning of a journey where, you know, like you're teaching in this series, that we, we have to become emotionally and spiritually mature. Mm. Um, you know, in my 25-plus years of this Christian walk, I've been in different leadership positions from, you know, my wife and I teaching Sunday school classes, I've served as a deacon, and we did 21 years in the military, so, um, you know, various churches, and the, the denomination was just whatever pastor happened to be in the position at the time. So we've, you know, had a variety of, of different denominations. Um, but the most important thing was, as, as you enter these leadership positions, most times it was, well, we'd like you to do this, um, here's some materials, and uh, do, do a good job, we'll pray for you. Um, there wasn't a lot of training. It was, you look capable. Um, you're, a, you're, you're, you're a leader in the Air Force, you know, yeah. so you, you must be qualified to go do this. Yeah. And what I really like about Grace Crossing is you don't do that. You equip us 
mm. to be in these leadership positions. You don't just throw us in the deep end and say good luck. Yeah. Um, you know, God, God isn't looking for perfection for those of us that, that lead. He's looking for willing vessels. Yeah. So um, if you're willing and are, are open, he'll guide us. Yeah. And you're learning that, that uh, you're still in process, right? You're still growing as an individual, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus. You're still learning to kind of line up your life, if you will, right? Absolutely. To the values that you claim. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the things that you're learning that we had a conversation about recently has been a part of this emotional health is what's called contemplative spirituality or slowing down in order to experience Jesus. Now, we often don't do this well in our lives. We are in a busy, fast-paced world. We, we feel like we've got to accomplish stuff all the time. And slowing down to be with Jesus, though that's really the heart of what it means to become a follower of Christ, is something we struggle with. And a part of contemplative spirituality um, is really still stillness and silence. And those are two things that you are practicing, Ray, for maybe the very first time in your life. So talk to us about what that practice has been like and what it's... What it's, what it's felt like for you. Yeah, um, it's, it's difficult. I'm, you know, as you know, I'm a type A personality. My mind never shuts off. I'm constantly thinking about either work or planning our next RV trip or, you know, when, when's the right time to retire. Um, yeah. So, you know, shutting down for even those two minutes of this daily devotional, you know, daily office, two minutes at a time, you would think, oh, two minutes, piece of cake. No, it's not. Shutting out those distractions and just, just letting God speak through the Holy Spirit, it's a challenge. But I kind of look at it like if you haven't been to the gym in a while and you go back, those, that, that first week is painful. Yeah. But as you, as you exercise those muscles and you, get, you, you start to get conditioned, um, it, it then becomes a routine yeah. and... And you build that up, yeah. that, that strength. So Absolutely. that's that's what I find is is it's difficult, but the more you do it, the better you get at it. Yeah, man, I want to go to his gym. I want to go to a gym that only hurts for a week. Right? That's the kind of gym <laughs> I want to go to. Now, here's the reality, right? Two minutes, two minutes, and yet, how often in life, just slowing down for just two minutes can often feel like an eternity. And so many of us really struggle with this. In our group, connection group this past week, you know, some talk just about how hard it is just to get their mind to stop in the middle of slowing down. Yeah. So one thing, Ray, that I wanted you to speak to as well, you know, as a, as a man, uh, as a, for all intents and purposes, a very successful man, a leader, a uh, person who has been involved in so many facets of church life, we hear this story and this saying that men don't do emotions. So what would you say to people that are here today that still happen to believe that men don't do emotions? Yeah, um, you know, men don't do emotions, and, and those that do probably don't do them well. Um, but I, I guess what I would say is, you know, as we're learning through this series, you know, e- emotions are a gift from God. And yeah. you know, showing emotion is not a bad thing. It doesn't make you weak. Hmm. Um, in fact, you know, I, I, I thought of a you know, situation when my wife and I were first dating. Um, in fact, it was the night that I graduated from high school. Um, you know, after a night of typical high school graduation partying, uh, my best friend on his way to work that morning had a head-on collision with a tractor-trailer car carrier. 
They called the accident in as a fatality. But miraculously, he lived. And I can remember, you know, my wife holding me, and, you know, I broke down. And afterwards, she said, you know, I didn't find that weak. I actually found that a strength. Hmm. And, you know, she embraced it. So, yeah, emotions are hard. Yeah. But, like you said last week, if we, if, the, if we keep them bottled up inside, we're just burying them alive. And we risk those emotions coming out at the, at the, in the worst way and sometimes at the worst time. Yeah. And a lot of times that leads to compensation, whether it be you know, bad eating habits, alcohol abuse, drug abuse, or just you know, various destructive behaviors. So you know, emotions are there. Um, you know, it's, a, it's a way of you know, relating and you know, accepting the circumstances you're in. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're not meant to be kept under the covers. So. Yeah, that's right. If you've never been up here in what we call the hot seat, <laughs> you don't know what it feels like to have, and it takes a tremendous amount of courage to step forward and share your story, but it also takes even a higher degree of courage to let a congregation, an audience, see some emotion. So would you join me in thanking Ray for sharing this with you. Thank you, Ray. And, and, and I have to compliment you. I've I, I tried to follow your example. I said, I don't need notes, but I, but I know better. I, I, don't, I honestly don't know how he does it. Sunday after Sunday, to deliver a message with just memory. He, he does a fantastic job. So I, I can't do that. Thanks. Thanks. I appreciate that. God bless you. He just jinxed me. Okay. I don't know how. I have no idea how I'm going to do this this morning. All right. So. Let's turn our thoughts to Colossians. I think Colossians gives us a framework for what we're talking about. You used to walk in in those ways in the way you once lived. But now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger, malice, rage, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on your new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of and in the image of its creator. Here's what those verses mean. Those verses mean that you and I are not victims to the scripts and the patterns of our former life. That's really good news for every one of us here this morning. What these verses are suggesting is that we are not somehow obligated to continue with the sinful practices and behaviors of our old self. We can do different. We can do better. And we can do it better by trusting in God and by learning to take off, to put aside those old self practices and put on our new self, which was created in the likeness and the image of God our creator. And the question is, how do we do that? Where do we begin? Well, last weekend, I talked about the very first prescription, because if we're going to put off our old self, we must first of all know our self. You cannot put off something you are not aware of. And so to put off your old self begins by knowing yourself, and if we want to know God fully, we must know ourselves more honestly. That involves both self-awareness and emotional honesty. 
And last weekend, I shared a three-step process for this that I want to repeat this morning because I think it's significant. I've been doing it for the last number of years in my life. I I liken this to a three-legged stool upon which truth stands. It is going to take three different components if you are going to get to know yourself more honestly so that you can know God more fully. And here they are. First of all, examine your heart. Ask yourself the what's going on question. So our staff team, every other week, does what we call a dashboard check-in. And part of that dashboard check-in is just sharing some things about what's going on in our world, what's going on in our workspace, what's going on even in our hearts and our heads. The very first question that each of us answers is this, what is your internal temperature today? What's going on inside of you in your heart today? A number of months ago, I came to our staff team and I said I was feeling discouraged and then I dug down deeper and it really wasn't discouraged, it was sadness. There were some things I was sad about that were actually beginning to affect my inner world. And I had to come to terms with what those things were so that I could honestly share an internal temperature. So when you evaluate your heart, it is to ask yourself the question, what's going on? The second step of this process, the second leg, is to excavate the root system. Ask yourself, where is this coming from? Where is this coming from? And then finally, thirdly, evaluate the message. Ask the what's God trying to say question. Beginning of the summer, our staff team was talking about the fact that we were going through a heavy season of transition. A number of families been part of our church for several years. We're transitioning in military. We had people moving for jobs. It just felt heavier than usual. And our ministry team, all of, the, all of us were feeling the pressure, if you will, of losing people in our ministries, people that were serving, people that were working, our volunteers. And I remember talking to our staff team about that, and and I said, there are two things we have to ask ourselves. Number one, what is happening emotionally inside of us? Why are we feeling what we're feeling? But the second more important question is this, what is God trying to say to us? Is God asking us to accept this as a limit? Is this simply a limitation? We're going to have to find some creative ways to address it. At the end of the day, what we want to do is we want to hear what it is that God is trying to say. So here's what I have come to realize in my life. There is a treasure trove of truth that lies in the chest of every emotion. If you want to discover what it is that's found in the emotion Just simply follow the trail. Because an emotion is the end of a trail. Something has led us to that particular place. And if we will take time to ask ourselves what's going on, and we'll take time to ask ourselves where's this coming from, and then look for the truth from God, what we will discover is that there is a ton of truth in the chest of every emotion. The truth is, emotion is simply feelings in motion, right? E-motion. Our feelings are constantly moving, and they're trying to take us somewhere. But here's what it will require. It will require that each one of us choose to look carefully, 
and to listen prayerfully. We must look carefully and listen prayerfully. So that brings us to our second prescription for emotionally healthy spirituality. The second prescription is actually just a double click on the second leg of the stool. It is asking yourself, where is this coming from? And when you double click on that, it is going to require something that every one of us will need to do, but it is not something that we often like to do or want to do. And here's the second prescription. We must learn to go back in order to go forward. If we want to move forward in our lives with God, with God's spirit, with God doing what he wants to do with us, we must first of all go back in order to go forward. Now, how many of you remember the 1985, how many of you are old enough to remember the 1985 movie, Back to the Future? Was that not a classic? Marty McFly, a young teenager, with the help of Doc Brown, actually accidentally is transported back in time 30 years to the year 1955. And there, Marty McFly is confronted with his history. He's confronted with why his parents are the way they are. He's confronted with the reality of why his life looks the way that it looks. And like many of us here, here's the sad reality. Many of us are still stuck in habits and behaviors from our past world. We are like Marty McFly who cannot seem to move on and move out and move beyond some of the things that have got us stuck. We find ourselves repeating certain habits, certain behaviors, and we may not even have any clue where it's coming from. But if we'll take time to go back, what we'll discover is there is a reason for why we are the way we are. There is a reason for why we act the way we do. There is a reason for the feelings that we have when certain things happen in our lives. We encounter certain experiences that trigger certain emotions. And I wish I could tell you today that going back in order to go forward was as easy as stepping into a time machine and plugging in a certain year and then going 88 miles an hour and boom, you're transported. It isn't that easy. It takes work, lots and lots and lots of time and work. And I will say to you this morning, it will take you an unyielding, a completely surrendered willingness to cooperate with God, an unbending willingness to go wherever God takes you. Here's what Philippians chapter 2 says. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. This thing called salvation is not some sort of passive activity. We are not passive bystanders in this whole thing called salvation. In fact, the Bible suggests God is working, and the Bible suggests that you and I also are called to continue to work. Now, that's hard because so many of us think of salvation as an event. 
We think of it as a moment in time. It is not. It is a process and it is a power. It is bringing God into every cavity and every area of your life and giving God permission to do what it is that he longs and desires to do. And here's the truth. For many of us, it is much easier to work out someone else's salvation than it is our own. In fact, we can think of all sorts of ways we can work out other people's salvation. But we have a really tough time when it comes to stopping and saying, you know what, if I'm going to help others in this arena, I've got to begin with me. This is where it starts. Work out your salvation. Now, if you've ever flown, and most of us in this auditorium have, we all know what it's like when the, when the uh, flight attendant stands up and goes through all of the safety instructions, right? And if you've flown a number of times, you start tuning them out. We don't even think about them anymore. They are just noise in the air. And the one that I love the most is the one that says, in the event that cabin pressure is compromised, there will be this mass that will fall from the ceiling. Miraculously, it will fall. And all of a sudden, you're supposed to put the mask on. And here's the part I love. And breathe normally. Listen, there ain't one person on that airplane who is breathing normally if that mask falls. I can tell you. But here's what we learn from that experience. This is crazy, right? We're told what? Put the mask on yourself first. You ever wondered why? Well, some of us do because we thought about it. But the reality is if you've got a child sitting next to you or someone who's elderly, and if you're going to help other people on that aircraft, you have got to have the right frame of mind to be able to do it. I know this is going to sound so hard for some of us, but your child can pass out for a few minutes and survive as long as the oxygen is restored. But if you pass out, that child has no hope. Did you realize that? That child has no hope of survival. This is what it's like when working out our salvation. We are not able to do what God wants us to do for one another until we first of all focus on what God wants to do inside of all of us. And so we've got to begin with us. We've got to go back in order to go forward. And let me tell you this morning, that often confront, involves confronting some issues and patterns and scripts and stories from your past. Many times from your family of origin. Now let me just put an asterisk on this before I go into this. Many of us think of our families as wonderful, and we should. We have a lot of wonderful things about our families. But there is not one family on planet Earth that's perfect. Every single family, including mine, my family of origin and the family that I raised my kids in is broken and flawed and in need of God's help. And we've got to understand that. We begin on a similar ground and a similar present that all of us in this auditorium are coming from the same place. Listen, if you've got a belly button, you're broken, okay? You're broken, you're flawed. That's the reality. We are coming from the same parents, spiritually speaking. And so this idea of going back in order to go forward begins with this big idea. Jesus may be living in your soul, but your parents are living in your bones. 
Jesus may be living in your soul, but your parents are living in your bones. I grew up in a home. At the age of five, my mom and dad divorced. Never saw my dad again for the next 13 plus years. I spent a lot of my childhood at my uncle's home um, with my cousins. And my early elementary years into my early teen years, that's where I spent a lot of my time. That's where family, that filled this family need in my heart in in a huge, tremendous way. But as an early teenager, my aunt and uncle got divorced. And when that happened, everything kind of collapsed around me. No structure, no security, no, no kind of system of stability. It moved into what I called disorganized chaos. I didn't see my uncle again until I was an adult. And when I ran into my uncle as a young adult, I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, oh my gosh, Gilbert. Now his words weren't that sterile, okay? But he said, oh my gosh. He goes, you remind me of your dad. He goes, you look like your dad. You walk like your dad. You talk like your dad. You even, he says, it's uncanny. You even hold your fingers like your dad when you talk. I didn't know I was holding my fingers a certain way. I never saw my dad do that. I didn't remember how my dad walked and how my dad talked. And here's the powerful truth. There is something in the DNA of every one of us that we simply cannot erase and doesn't get erased the moment we come to faith in Christ. It does not disappear. And so what we've got to do is we've got to be willing to go back sometimes in our life in order to take the right steps forward. But most of us are unwilling to do that. Why? Well, I'll give you three quick reasons why most people will not ever go back. I think, first of all, many people have what I'll call a paper-thin theology that focuses almost entirely on the future. We tend to believe that salvation and Christianity is all about getting set up for for the future. Listen, that is a big piece of it, and I'm grateful. But salvation is about bringing God into the reality of your today. It's about letting him come into you and change you. The second reason I think many of us won't go back is because we don't see value in it. We don't know where there'll be any value in going back in order to go forward. And the third reason, and I think it's perhaps the biggest reason, we fear what we may find. Going back can be a scary place. Whether you come from what you would consider a very good family or whether you come from a family that is highly dysfunctional, going back can feel terrifying because we fear what it is we'll find. There's a great movie I saw recently. It's a movie of a young sailor who actually was having all sorts of problems with his shipmates. He was having problems with his authorities. He was having problems with everybody in his life. And finally, his superiors sent him to the military psychiatrist where he's required to figure out why it is he's struggling so much with anger. My favorite actor, one of my favorite actors, Denzel Washington, is the psychiatrist. And there's a scene in the movie that's so powerful when, when, when uh, the doctor is actually telling this young man that it is time for you to move on from where you are. It is time for you 
to move forward. Powerful scene. I want you to take a look at it with me. Hello? What's up, Doc? <laughs> How are you? I'm good. Yes, you are, Antoine. You're good. There are nothing but good things from your CO. Hear that you're getting along very well with your shipmates. I'm proud of you. Thank you, sir. Have you thought any more about finding your family? I don't know. For what? No, I just think that there's really nothing more important than that, Antoine. What are you trying to say, sir? That I'm proud of you, that I think you've come a long way. Okay. You said that. What's wrong? It's nothing wrong. You understand, this is very difficult for me. Our sessions have ended. Now, listen, just listen to me, I said. Taking the liberty. What do you mean they ended? ended, son. It's time for you to move on. You can't stall here. But you and me are working out my problems. You problem. and me can't work you out all your problems. told me that we need to figure out my problems. Listen problem. to me. Hey, get out! Get out! Nobody ever stays. Everybody's always People leaving me. grow. People move on. You've grown. It's time for you to move hey, on. My mother left me. I my understand. father. I understand. Jesse and you. Jesse, what do you mean? We should have never gone. That's what. Jesse. Jesse, tell me. There's cowbells ringing in my... Cowbells. Tell me about what? the cow. What happened to Jesse? Stay away from me. Nobody's taking anything else away from me no more. Here's my conviction. My conviction is that an essential part of spirituality and Christian discipleship is facing our past. It is going back in order to go forward. And here's why I think this is so powerful. Let me give you several reasons. Number one, whether we like it or not, you and I are a product of our past. We are a product of our past, for better, for worse. We often underestimate the significant imprint that our past has had on our present and on our future. We often minimize how significant it is that we have been impacted by things that have happened in our life. You know, every single family, including your family, has spoken and unspoken laws and rules. These are things you do or things you do not do. These are ways you behave or ways you do not behave, right? Let's call these commandments. And every family has its set of shared commandments that may not be written down, but they are etched on the tablet of our heart. We know them well. When we get angry, we explode. That's how we do problems in our home. When we have an issue, we minimize the issue. We ignore conflict. That's how we deal with it. When we have a problem, nobody outside this home finds out about it. Why? Because we would never want them to think worse of us, right? So we hide. We cover. We grow up in families many times that anesthetize the pain of their reality with substances. And we learn through those commandments through those habits, through those scripts, that that's how I am supposed to deal with life. When the going gets tough in life 
and things are down and you're not feeling like you're in love anymore, the easy thing to do is just to walk away and start all over again. These are scripts. These are things that are shaped and formed inside of the very fabric of who we are. We are engineered in many ways by nature and nurture to think certain ways. So we are a product of our past. Let me give you another compelling reason. What happens in one generation often repeats itself in the next. Did you know that? Look at Exodus chapter 20, verse number 5. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected. Even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. Now here's what this is suggesting. This is suggesting that there are real, tangible, observable things patterns, scripts, and stories that are passed down from one generation to the next to all who reject God. And it's not a matter of whether we want to do those things. The reality is we are affected by things that have happened in the generation that preceded us. I'll never forget my brother and I, family of five kids, only my oldest brother is a, is shares my faith. And I remember early in my marriage and his marriage, we talked about the reality that we wanted to break the cycle of abandonment and the cycle of divorce in our home, that we were not going to just sit idly by and be spectators as the parade goes. We were going to get involved. We were going to do something with God's help to change that. Here's the thing I want you to hear this morning. That statement... That guarantee is for all who reject him. And here's the counter of that, verse number six, because there's a better way. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on all who love me and obey my commandments. Isn't that powerful news today? That we can change the course and the cycle of what is passed from one generation to the next. In fact, sin is passed to three or four. But listen to what it says about love, about those who honor God, about those who obey God, that it's passed to a thousand generations. We can literally change the course of history for generations and generations to come if we will face it in our generation, in our day if we will look our past square in the eye and choose to go there, we can change the generations that will follow us for God's glory. Here's a third thing I want to tell you, the third compelling reason that I think that going back is a huge essential part of Christian discipleship and true spirituality. The Bible does not teach us to ignore our past. It teaches us to confront it with God's truth. The Bible nowhere teaches us to ignore our past. It rather tells us and teaches us to confront it with God's truth. Listen to what Jesus said in John's gospel. Chapter 8, verses 31 through 32. Jesus said, if you hold my teaching, adhere to it, embrace it, follow it, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. 
Let me ask you, how can you get free from something that you don't know is there? Until we know the truth, it is impossible to be set free by the truth. This is not just about believing the truth. It is about knowing it, embracing it, and saying, listen, that may have been the story of my past, but it is not God's truth about who I am. Though that is what happened to me, that is not the person that God has made me to be. And I said this last weekend, and it bears repeating. The goal of emotionally healthy spirituality is not correction. The goal is connection. It is learning to connect the dots. How many of you remember, as a kid, one of your very first coloring books? I remember as a kid at Christmas time seeing and getting the dot-to-dot book and doing the connecting of the dots. Listen, that's what your spiritual life is a lot like. God wants you to learn how to connect the dots of your past to both your present and to your future. Which brings up a fourth compelling reason. God is not interested in rewriting your past. God is interested in repurposing it for his glory. He is not interested in rewriting your past. He's interested in repurposing it for his glory. Listen to Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 through 14. Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Far too many well-meaning Christians have taken that verse to mean we should ignore our past. We should completely forget that it ever happened. That is lifting this verse out of context. Paul the Apostle never ignored or minimized his past. In fact, When you get home today, open your Bible to Philippians chapter 3 and read that narrative in context. Here's what you'll discover. Paul is using the pain and the reality of of his past to punctuate God's grace in his present. He is not telling us to ignore it. He is simply telling us that, listen, it can be different. God's grace can make you different. Here's the good news for us today. This is the good news of the gospel. Your past and your biological family does not control your future. God does. And because God does, everything about your life can be different. And you can walk back into your past with the confidence that God is there, that God is with you. One final thing I'll say. If you have unfinished business from your past, you will face the consequences of it in your present and into your future. If there is unfinished business in your past, something that God wants you to face, you will face the consequences of it. Unhealed wounds create more habitual sin against God and others more than anything else I know. When there is unfinished business, when we have blind spots that we're unwilling to look back to, it can impact us. Our life, our marriage, our parenting, our leadership, everything about our lives. So when I got to Los Angeles, 
and took my son Caleb out there early this summer. I drove with him the first time down the 10. And I said, we're going to an auto parts store and I'm buying you blind spot mirrors. What is the rearview mirror for? If we hope to go forward and avoid destruction and catastrophe, we better know what's in the rearview mirror. We better see our blind spots more clearly. And whenever we allow things to lie in our blind spots that we're unwilling to look at and go to, then we are unwilling to know ourselves. And I promise you, you will not be able to go forward the way God wants you to. So the question this morning is, where do I begin? If you're here this morning and this sounds like such a daunting task, where do I begin? More importantly, how? How do I begin? If you and I want to break the power of our past, we've got to know what's there. But if you're going to go there, here's my advice to you this morning. Don't go alone. Don't go alone. Take Jesus Christ with you into your past. That is the power of what happens at salvation. All of a sudden, the Bible says that God comes to take up residency within your life and that God wants to help you face everything about your life so that you can live free. You can know what truth is and live free to bring God pleasure and to bring God glory because it is God who is at work in you. It is God who is acting in you. He's doing something. And by the way, the Bible has a term for this. The term is new birth. That's not some coincidental term. You ever thought about that? The most powerful terminology to represent what you and I are part of here today as the church of Jesus Christ, the most powerful term is family. We become part of God's family. We are adopted into God's family. We experience new birth in God's family. Which guess what that means? That means we get a father. A father who loves us tremendously, unconditionally. A father who knows us better than anyone. We also get brothers and sisters. We become sons and daughters of God, but we're also brothers and sisters. And we become part of a new family at the new birth whereby we can be reparented by a heavenly father who can teach us how to live in God's family even if it looked little like our biological family. We get new birth. We are given more than that. Listen to what Ezekiel actually promises us. Chapter 36, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. This means that there is a new pattern, new stories, new scripts that God wants us to live. And so Jesus talks about this in Mark's gospel. Listen to what it says in Mark's gospel. Chapter 3, verses 33 through 35. Jesus asked, who is my mother? 
who are my brothers. Then he looked at the people sitting around him and he said, here are my mother, here are my brothers. Anyone who obeys God is my brother and sister and mother. Now listen to what I'm about to say. God expects us to honor our parents. He expects us to honor our families. He expects us to honor our cultures and our histories, but he expects us to obey him. Which means there is a different way that God calls us to live that may look nothing like the way it looked in your family. We can't go at this alone. If we're going to go back in order to go forward, we need Jesus to go with us. And here's the good news. He promises that he will. I want you to bow your heads as our band comes this morning. Two things that I want to do as we close. First of all, if you're in this auditorium this morning and you have never accepted the gift of God's love that was afforded to you and given to you by the cross, by his death. If you've never said yes to Jesus, this morning I want to invite you in this auditorium to do that. I want to invite you to say, God, I want to be part of your family. I want to be part of your, I want to be a son or a daughter. And I choose to accept and give my heart to you today. I accept to give you my life. And I want you to help me to grow, to become more emotionally healthy. If you're here this morning and that's you, I want to pray for you. Would you slip up your hand? Heads bowed and eyes closed. You this morning would say, I want to be part of God's family. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Are there others? Say, that's me today. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Anybody else who would say, I want to cross that line today. Yes. Make that decision. Praise God. Bless, Lord, every single person this morning who has said yes to being part of your family. Thank you that we are your sons. We are your daughters. The moment that we entrust our lives to you. We pray your blessing today upon our hearts. In Christ's name. Here's the second thing I want to do this morning. Our band's going to sing a song, and as they do, there's a reflection question up on our screen today. Here's the reflection question that I'd like you to think about. We're not going to put the lyrics of the song up. I'm just simply going to ask you to take out a pen, piece of paper, your mobile device, whatever's most convenient. And I'm going to ask you to answer that question. What is one experience from my past that now influences my behavior in the present? What is one experience from my past that now influences my behavior? Before we go there, let me just tell you some of my own scripts and stories and patterns that God has helped me to come to terms with in my own life. I struggled for the balance of my adult life, wondering if anyone really enjoyed me. Believing that people actually were in relationship with me because there was an opportunity or because they were obligated. 
And through my life, I have found it so difficult to receive compliments, grace from others, kindness, because I always questioned where it was coming from. Was there truth behind it? And I doubted it. And God helped me to see and put a connection together after months of looking carefully and listening prayerfully that I was never celebrated as a kid. I never remember one time in my life where I felt enjoyed, where I felt celebrated. I don't say that to you to make you feel sorry for me. I say that to you because I want you to help to connect a dot in your own heart. There's something that's behind every feeling that we have. In my life, I have struggled with perfection all of my life. Every week I get up here, I feel like I gotta be perfect. And even though I have grown so much in that, I am still struggling with this perfection inside of me. You know why? Because perfection was not just expected as a kid. Perfection and imperfection was punished severely if I didn't give it as a child. And I grew up in a home where perfection was not an option. If you were going to do something, it was going to be perfect or you were going to pay a price. And I recognize that in my life I have struggled so much with feeling the need to be perfect because I need God to help me continually to recognize that is not God's message to me. I don't have to be perfect to be loved by God. In fact, He loves me with all my imperfections. And I'm thankful. I've struggled with control. Because my life was so chaotic, so out of control, I took whatever was inside of my control. As I as a kid, it was my dresser. My dresser was perfect. Everything was in its place. Nothing was moved out of place. Because that I could control. I couldn't control everything else in the chaos, but I could control that. And I carried that into my adulthood. My early days of marriage, my early days of being a parent, my control got in the way. It hurt. It was painful. And I had to bring God into that. I had to connect dots and say, you know where? There's somewhere that's coming from that God wants to free, deliver me from. God does not want me to live that way. Let's give our hearts to God today. And as we do, I want you to think about what are the experiences from your past that are today influencing your behaviors? Give it to God. Give it to God as an act of surrender. Do it today. Do it today. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.